Well, today we're going to talk on a topic that's probably as exciting as fasting, okay? I, noticed, I, I really did notice when, I fa- when we talked about fasting, one of those spiritual disciplines, it, it, uh, and I know sometimes, seriously, as we learn a, a topic maybe we haven't heard before, it's deeper, it, uh, you know, we are quieter, I get that, because we're absorbing, but, but also there really isn't a whole lot to shout about in fasting unless you go to Isaiah and read the rewards of fasting, now that's something to shout about, uh, the reward of fasting is your darkest moment will be like the noonday sun, it's a pretty good promise, isn't it? You'll be what, like a well-watered garden, he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, you will receive your healing quickly. You will call upon the Lord and he will say, here I am. I mean, there's a lot of awesome promises to the reward of fasting, but the whole topic doesn't get us all excited. Well, today we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of submission. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's usually about the, yeah, submission, yeah. None of us like to submit. We don't really want to ever submit. We want to rule, not submit, but we're going to see what God says about it and the beautiful benefits of it. So we've been on this, this journey of spiritual disciplines, uh, and probably the anchor verse for that would be 1 Timothy 4, 8, where the seasoned veteran Paul the Apostle is teaching his young protege, and he says to him, to Timothy, he said, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. Now, for those who say that sounds horrible, the rewards of that is that godliness has power and promise and impact in every area of life. Every. Did you hear that? That's what Paul said to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every area of life. And then it says that it holds promise for here on planet Earth and in the life to come. So that's a pretty amazing promise from God. So train yourself to be godly. The New American Standard says discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness because godliness has such power and such impact. And so... Spiritual disciplines, just a definition of that, are really biblical practices that we impose upon ourselves. Crossroads is not imposing these, so you have to do these. God himself doesn't impose these upon you and say you have to do these. We impose them upon ourselves to make us spiritually fit and healthy. So we're actually creating some structure to our lives so we can get maximum results in our spiritual life, so we can grow to the fullest measure. And so we've talked about some inner disciplines, which you can do by yourself. You don't have to be in any particular place or with anyone else. You know, Bible study, meditation, prayer, fasting. We talked about the corporate disciplines. Corporate has nothing to do with business in that. It means group or as a body. So group disciplines we talked about uh, of community and celebration. And this week we're going to talk about outer disciplines. Now, I don't want to confuse you. These outer disciplines have to be resolved internally in us, but then they branch out to how we deal with others. God's very concerned about how we deal with other people. Uh, he talks, we talk about this vertical relationship with God, and then we talk about this horizontal relationship with God. And God says basically this, is my paraphrase, don't tell me that you and I got this beautiful thing going if you don't treat other people right. He said how you treat other people is a reflection of what we got going on here. And so he says, you can't you know, hate your brother whom you've seen and say, oh, I so deeply love God whom I've never seen. And so these horizontal relationships, how we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ, how we deal with strangers, how we deal with pagans, how we deal with the the whole world around us is incredibly important to God. And I want to remind you of this. You know the guy that, or gal that, you know, just bugs the life out of you? 
that you really wouldn't be troubled if you never saw them ever again. I want to tell you a little insight. God deeply, passionately loves them. God deeply, passionately loves them. I told that to a person one time many years ago because they were frustrated with somebody in their life. I didn't know who it was in their life, but I said, I want you to know this. God loves them as much as he loves you. And they said, I don't know about that. I thought, okay, well, I may, may have found a problem here. <laughs> so God cares about our relationships with other people. And so as we move into these outer disciplines, today we'll talk about submission. Again, submission isn't a favorite topic, and, and um, we, we don't like to submit. We, we like to rule. But I want to look at a biblical concept of submission, which is not how we think of submission. So there's our first problem, how we think of submission. If you ever watched a TV show or some cage fighting or something, you might hear somebody say, I'm going to beat them into submission. So we think, oh, that's what submission is. Somebody's going to overpower you and beat you into submission. But that's not the biblical concept of submission. The biblical concept of submission is to willingly, by choice, yield yourself and your ways to another. That's the biblical concept of submission. It's, it's always a gracious act of your heart. It's always an act of choice when it's biblical submission. God Almighty doesn't try to beat us into submission because submission is a willing choice, an act of your heart. Now, what most people think of when they hear the word submission is servitude. And the definition for servitude is the state of being a slave or completely subject to someone more powerful. So none of us like that idea, but that's how, what we think of when we hear submission. I want you to try to wash your brain, and I want you to think of the biblical concept. I'm not talking about even the dictionary concept, but the biblical concept of submission is willingness, choice, yielding to another. Servitude is being overpowered and forced into compliance. No one likes that. Now, if you want to stir up trouble, you take people to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And Galatians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit yourselves, you see that word, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Now, if you have been raised as a cultural feminist, this will grate at you. Like, oh, no, this, no. And both men and women have nothing in our natural that wants to submit. And so we'll say, there ain't no man going to tell me what to do. Okay. And then us guys say, no one's going to tell me what to do. In fact, I remember our beloved Larry Schreier was helping out in the children's ministry one day, and this little five-year-old was a little raucous and rowdy and, and said, hey, you need to calm down a little bit. And he said, I can't wait time bigger. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Okay. And Larry said, people tell me what to do everywhere. At home, at work, at church, everywhere I go, somebody's got something to tell me what to do. So you never escape that just because you get older. But that mentality, honestly, if you hold on to that, nobody's ever going to tell me what to do. It will not be a good life for you. Things will not work well for you. So we have a problem that, first of all, it's ingrained in our mind that submission, especially submitting to your husband, we picture this idea that, that here's the man who's king of his castle, and he's sitting there and barking out orders to you, the wife, and you are very meekly coming and complying. I think that's a beautiful picture. I have, I have no problem with that, no. Uh, but I married a strong Kentuckian, so that's not going to work, okay? So, but that's what we think. That's not the biblical concept of submission. If you read the whole chapter of Ephesians 5, 
you'll see that husbands are supposed to be doing something, wives are supposed to be doing something. It's really harmonious. Men are supposed to be loving their wives as life as Christ loved the church. Did you ever see Jesus bullying people? No. Did you, we're supposed to lay down our lives for our wives. We saw Jesus lay down his life for the bride, the church. So we get this whole picture. It's totally different than what the world's concept is of submit. But I do want you to know, that's a real verse. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. Just as it's a real verse, men, that you're supposed to love your wives like Christ loved the church and lay down your life for her. And so both those things need to be going on to make Ephesians 5 work well. So the other thing that we have a problem with submission, especially when we hit a topic like this, is, is no one ever looks at Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21, I don't have a slide for it, but it says this. It actually starts this whole passage with this. Submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Christ or Jesus. Submit to one another. And so every good relationship, every good relationship that you enjoy, there's a mutual submission that's going on. If you have a friend, and every time you get together with that friend, you eat where they want to eat, you do what they want to do, you recreate the way they want to recreate, you, uh, if you go shopping, you go to the shopping area they want to go to, and you go into the stores that they want to go to, and it lasts the length they want it to last, your, your fellowship time, there'll be a point where you'll say, they're my friend, but I really don't enjoy hanging out with them. There's no mutual submission going on. When I was a young dad with young kids, I would on occasion say to my children, where would you like to eat? We're going out tonight. Where would you like to eat? And they never picked my favorite place. Never. What happened? I was submitting the dining choice for the family to two five-year-olds and a nine-year-old. And, and so I was submitting. By an act of my will, by choice, I was submitting. It didn't make me less of a dad, less of a leader, Less of a Christian. Let, no, that, that's healthy relationship. We have a mutual submission to one another, and those are healthy relationships. And so those are things that make it difficult for submitting, again, is one, we don't understand what the word means in biblical context, and we don't understand the whole concept. We just want to pull out one verse. I've often joked that even men that have never been to church know that's in the Bible somewhere. Wives said, I don't know where it's at, but somewhere in there you're supposed to submit to me. And so, uh, but we need to learn the whole concept and the whole principle of submission. And so there's some great things that the word teaches us about submission. And they're, they're, they're tough for us as people to learn to submit. So we're going to look at um, the concept that it's, it's fine to submit to people we love and cherish. But what happens when we find people we don't necessarily love or even know who are telling us what to do. So let's look at submission to secular authorities in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. These are real Bible verses that God's training us in. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to, what's the next three words? Every human authority. Well, does that really say that? Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether to the emperor, or you could put king or president or government, as the supreme authority, or to governors who they, the supreme authority, sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. I want you to know something about what Peter was living in. He was not living in a beautiful governmental system. 
It was not living in a beautiful governmental system. The Roman Empire was not a friendly system. And in fact, what they wanted in the Messiah was somebody who would take over the Romans, defeat them, and the Jewish people would then be established as their own people, their own nation, their own ruler. They didn't want to and, and hated the idea, and I get it, why they had to submit to a pagan authority. When their God's the God of all the universe. But Jesus would say things like this, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's not of this world. Trust me, my kingdom is this world. I could call angels right now to deal with this with no problem. My kingdom's not of this world. I don't know if Jesus ever said this to him, but they would get the idea when they knew the heart of Jesus. I deeply, passionately love the Roman people and the Roman authorities and the leaders. He has a passion. God is love. And uh, it would behoove us to remember that as we want to bark and at, at this leader or that leader or hate this one or cause discord or dissent or whatever, we, the church of all people, should say, hold it, I need to have a spirit of submission. Now, how do you respond when a police officer, a store manager, a political leader, maybe somebody just directing traffic out there at a construction site, how do you respond when they tell you what to do? If you're like most people, you bristle, you stiffen, you don't want to be told what to do. In our natural, we do not want to be told what to do. This is pretty common in the era that we're hopefully moving out of right now. I was in a big box store, and, and I was in a long line. You, you might have noticed this, that they um, really have no interest in checking your groceries anymore. I don't know if you noticed that. So they set up all these self-checkouts, which are... I actually like self-checkouts if I don't have a lot, but if I've got a big pile, and I had a big pile, so I'm going through the, the, uh, the line. and I'm actually in no hurry, so it didn't bother me, but I finally got second in line. And so I get up there second in line, and I'm standing there, and, and the lady who's in charge, this is her authority section, says, Sir, sir, would you please back up and give a little more distance there? And I'm going, she's talking to me? I mean, I'm here there's at least a four or four and a half foot cart there, a space and a lady up there, and that she's talking to me. Now, I could have argued with her, I could have fought with her, I could have got out a measuring tape and went, I'm sorry, I was five feet, 11 inches away, but I just decided, you know what, I'll just take a step back. And so I took a step back. Now, some of you, you would rather have your right arm cut off than take a step back because it's just, I'm not going to submit to that. But it's not a matter of whether you like the idea or the rule or anything. It's just submitting. And apparently it was her pattern because when I got up there, she said to the person behind, sir, sir, would you please step back? I went, he looks like he's pulling far enough back. Okay, you know, whatever. And so that, that might have been her standard thing. By the way, sometimes I just like to vent for my own emotional well-being. <laughs> what I'm about to tell you now has nothing to do with this message. But I thought it was really interesting. There was a person who was checking out in front of me. Again, I wasn't in any hurry. I just found the whole event interesting. They tell her what her uh, balance is, and she is at that, you know that little check box where you put your checkbook up there, that, that little table? And so she's up there, and they told them the part, how much she owed, and she went and grabbed her purse. And she started going through her purse, and she got her checkbook out. Well, I hadn't seen a checkbook for a long time, which I'm, I'm fans of checkbook. They, I grew up with them, but I thought, that's kind of cool. So she put it up there, and, and what's the amount again? So she wrote the check out. I 
They used to use, and maybe you still can. I don't know. It's been so long since you used check. You used to just be able to hand them a check, then zip it through this thing. But she writes it all out longhand, and uh, she gets done. And then she actually starts, first I thought she was reconciling her checkbook, you know, because she, she's writing in here, and I've got, you know, she's already handed the check, but she's working on this, and, and I guess she's just logging it in the ledger, which is the proper thing to do, by the way. That's why most of you can't reconcile a checkbook if you have one, because you never write in there and you don't remember. And so when she's done, she said, sorry, and I said, it's fine with me. And it really was fine with me. I just found the whole thing fascinating, and I feel better at telling you about that, okay? okay. So I just thought that was interesting. Like, if you knew you were going to pay with the check, you might have got the checkbook out before you ever got up there. But anyway, who cares? Okay. So, what do we do? We have this, this call by God to submit to secular authorities who weren't godly, wonderful people. And we don't particularly like submitting, so what do we do? We submit. Now, now I want to give some balance here. We do need to learn submission within obvious boundaries. Peter and John healed somebody, and the authorities who were in charge said to them, don't do that anymore. And don't talk about Jesus, and don't tell people about Jesus. Jesus is off limits. And guess what? They disobeyed the authorities. They said, you judge for yourself whether it's right to do what God says or what you all say. And they disobeyed. There is a time for disobedience. But be very careful because as Christians, we got a good way of always, you know, making an excuse that God said. You know, God said, God, be, be very careful with that. That's really not a, it's taking the name of the Lord in vain. But there is a time to do it as we see here. So please use some good wisdom. Now how about human spiritual leaders? We've had human secular leaders, but what about human spiritual leaders? Well, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Did you catch that? That's, that's about spiritual leadership. And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. If you have any kind of spiritual leadership, you will give an account to God for how you handled that. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. I want to pause and say thank you to the people of Crossroads Community Church because I've now been here for a really long time. And, um, and by the way, in the church I was raised in, the pastor who was there who was doing a phenomenal job, the church was about to go under, and he actually brought it back to life after years of hard work, but he was old. Now, you know what old is? Somebody 10 years older than you, okay? So this person was old, at least in their mind. And in a denominational meeting... She asked, how old does the pastor have to be before they're forced into retirement? Because she believed if a young pastor came in, it would revitalize the church. And I'm thinking, I've been here all my life. She moved away for years and came back and that when she was young, and it was the only game in town, and everybody was pretty much, you know, you went to the church in the community you lived. That's really how it used to be, by the way, but now we have great transportation. It was a thriving little church, and it had gone down, but he had built it back up, and and I thought, boy, that's a real nice question to ask. How old do you have to be to be forced into retirement? So please don't ever ask that in front of me because she asked, she asked that in front of him. So you may be thinking, how old does he have to be before he's forced into retirement? Well, over all the years that I've been here, it's been few. It's been a rare situation that 
I had to deal with something that just was robbing me of joy. When, few pastors could probably say that it has been a joy for Darlene and I to serve and minister here for now decades, probably three plus decades, and that is a salute to you all, and so I want to say thank you for that. People deserve thank yous, and it says if, if people in a church make pastoring and leading a burden and not a joy, that's of no benefit to anybody. Nobody does well there. So we do need to have a submission to spiritual leaders. Now, for the record, I do want you to know I have really no desire to get in your business, okay? Um, I don't know if I'm too lazy or what it is. I just don't really want to get in your business. But back in the 70s, early 80s, there was a movement in the church world called the discipleship movement. Now, by the way, discipleship is a good, biblical, wonderful, sweet, perfect name. But this group got so overbearing that you had to submit everything to leadership. Seriously, if you wanted to buy a car, build a house, move, take a new job, get married, you had to go to your church leadership and ask permission to do that. Again, may I state this, I don't want to make those decisions for you. Please do not schedule an appointment to ask if you can change jobs. What I would rather do is train you to grow up spiritually, to learn how to pray, to make wise biblical decisions. Will you make some mistakes? Sure, I did, you will, but we learn and grow along the way. And you learn how to mature spiritually so you can make good, godly, wholesome decisions. But that, that discipleship movement went way too far. And again, that has no interest to me. But there is such a thing as spiritual leadership where you receive instruction and you submit to it and it causes you to grow. There's a lady here in the church that hadn't been here for very long, still attends here, this was years ago. And uh, been here a few weeks and and back by the water fountain, so they asked me a question about this situation they had in their life, in her life, and I said, here's what the scripture says. Now, a couple weeks later, I said, that issue that you brought up, what did you do? I said, I dealt with it that day. I went, wow, that's kind of interesting. And she had a heart saying, if this is what the scripture says, then I'm going to go do it. It wasn't even so much a submission to me as it was to the word of God. And she was quick to respond, and God has always blessed her because she's quick to respond to what the Word said. Usually what we do is we seek counsel because we're really wanting to get affirmed what we want to do. Then if it doesn't get affirmed, we look for other counselors until we try to finally find somebody who will affirm us. But she just went out and did the Word of God. That's what causes transformation in our lives. So, it's generally not the instruction or teaching that people run into problem with. Here's where we run into problem. I'm talking to me too, where we run into problem. It's not with teaching, it's not with instruction, it's with correction. No one likes to be corrected. And so there's where we end up having a problem. Over the years, it's only happened a couple times in many, many years, but there was, uh, and I, I want you to catch the spirit of this, there was a young couple many years ago working in our children's ministry, sweet, loved the Lord, good people, willing to serve, willing to volunteer, and I find out that they're living together. Now, If you don't know what that means, that means they were together, living in the same home, and not married. Now, the Bible teaches that we should be married. Now, did I hate the people because they were doing that? No. But we want to teach our children what the scriptures say, that marriage is sacred and holy, and the sexual relationship is undefiled in in the bounds of marriage. So I met with them. Nobody likes doing that. But I met with them, talked to them, 
was as gracious and kind as could be. He said, you guys have been together. Maybe, maybe we can get you married. You know, let's move towards that direction. If you love each other enough to live together, maybe you should get married. Well, they weren't interested in getting married. But what it did do was hurt their feelings and made them mad. And they left the church. And I didn't know what to do about that because I can't just say, yeah, you know, we'll just do whatever we want. Well, it happened again probably a decade or two later. And so I had the same conversation. By the way, I just want to clarify this. I don't want to have those conversations. I don't enjoy that. I don't wake up and go, ooh, I get to correct somebody today. You know, who likes that? And so I had a gracious conversation. Um, well, half, half of the relationship left mad. Well, they both left mad, but one of them finally decided, you know, this is what the Word of God says. And one of them hung in here. The other one left the relationship, left the church, did all that. But the one who hung in back several years later ended up finding a guy, getting married, having a family, and has a, a, a sweet life that revolves around Christ. It, it's, it was the, the power of actually taking correction, which uh, I got very much a mercy gift, so it's not mean, but nothing feels nice when you're correcting. I told you this story, and that's why I've tried to be very careful with it over the years. Children, you're an adult. You just see yourself as a normal person. Kids, the little people see you as mature and, and wise. You look at yourself and you go, me? Yeah, the kids look at you as mature and wise. And so one time there was a, a little girl and st- spend the night with Caressa. And I, they, they said someone did something that wasn't really right. And I think I told you last time, it wasn't like they were cooking meth upstairs or something. But, I, you know, I, I, uh, I told them, I said, hey, girls. And I tried to use you know, a tender voice and try to be nice because I know that what I'm getting ready to do sounds like this to me, but it sounds like a bowling ball to them because they're little people. And so I said, girls, I said, you know, be careful and blah, 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 and do this. And the little girl looked at me and said, I want to go home. And I went, oh, man. So we need to be gentle when we correct and loving and kind and realize that they, they're probably going to hear a boulder or a bowling ball, and that's not our intent. But correction is part of our lives. In fact, if you think about how many times have we decided to leave a friendship, maybe even a marriage, a church, a job, whatever, because correction came and we just would not submit to correction. Now, I want to say this again clearly. Please hear this. I am not challenging anyone to stay in a relationship that is harmful and destructive and where you or other people in your family are being put in harm's way. I'm not promoting that. I don't want you to say, well, you know, my husband beats me and the kids, but pastor said you got to submit to your husband. And uh, no, there's, he's not doing his part, okay? You need some help with that. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. There is a time for wisdom to say, I have to disregard this because it's broken. It's not as God designed it to be. So, so please be wise in all this. But we do still need to learn to submit within reasonable boundaries. Are you all with me? Okay. Guess what? God instructs. God counsels. God corrects. God will even rebuke. Rebuke's like a step up from correction. Correction can be kind of tender, but a rebuke is, if you ever played a sport and you got taken out of the, t- out of the game and the coach said, here's the play and you're not doing it right, uh, and then you go back in the game and you do it wrong again, you probably get yelled at when you get back to the to the bench. You you know, you get like a strong rebuke, a strong correction or rebuke. But here's an interesting thing. As Paul's training Timothy to be a ministry leader, 
he says something. And it's so interesting because he doesn't say, hey, Timothy, here's a really good idea I think might be helpful for you. Listen to how he sets this up. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Wow, you got my attention. This isn't just, hey, here's a cool idea. This is, wow. Here's, here's the charge. Preach the word. That, you know, that's a really great idea. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. So be ready at all times. And then here's three things. Correct, rebuke. Thank God encourages in there. Aren't you glad for that? You know, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Now, again, I have a strong mercy gift. Uh, and if you have a type A personality, my wife has a type A personality. You know, I, I tell her, I say, you'll start, storm hell with the water pistol not even loaded. You know, you're just, you're going you're gonna to go for it. And uh, so I, I tell everybody, I got a type Z personality. They say, hey, I got a Z. And uh, so I have a, a, a strong mercy gift. So sometimes Darlene will see if, if there's been maybe a couple or someone in the church just received counsel over and over and over, and she goes, I don't know how you do it. I say, the Bible actually says I'm to do this with all patience. I'm to do this with long-suffering and with careful instruction. So God has graced me with the ability to be long-suffering and patient, and here's what that's what he's telling Timothy to do. And then he tells Timothy a chapter earlier, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, here's the good news. So that the servant of God, that means the Christian, the believer in Jesus, may be thoroughly equipped or mature or complete for every good work. Wouldn't it be nice to be complete and ready for every good work? That's what happens here is the word of God begins to instruct us, teach us, maybe rebuke us and correct us and guide us and lead us. And by the way, some of your... Uh, translations may use the word perfect. I just want to tell you, if you use the King James, which I love the King James, cut my teeth on the King James, but when it uses the word perfect, it rarely means flawless. It almost always means mature. So just get that, because you'll read something and go, I'm supposed to be perfect. I don't know how I'm going to do that. You're supposed to mature. Mature people aren't always perfect, as we think of flawless, but you're to grow up. Okay. So submission to God is essential for spiritual growth, but here's some blessings. So I want to look at these blessings. In James 4, it says, but he, God, gives more grace. Grace is a strengthening supernatural power from God. Who doesn't want more of that? So, but he, God, gives more grace. Then it goes on to say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is a form of submission, but to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we're seeing, so I can have authority over the devil, submitting to God and resisting him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we're seeing this, this reward for following in a submissive heart after God. And then he says this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that's interesting because if you remember what I preached on last week, I said, and, and by the way, I tell you this, don't ruin my fantasy. 
I'm, I'm dreaming that as soon as I said, if you remember what I preached last week, you all are saying, do I remember? I got it down pat. I listened to it three times this week online. So just let me, you know, let me have the fantasy there. I talked about celebration. And I said, joy should mark the life of believers. And joy should mark the life of the church. And here we're reading, hey, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. So which is it, Tracy? It's both. There's a time in our lives where he's saying, hold it, you're double-minded. You have one foot in the world and one in God. Quit being double-minded. The most miserable place to be is one foot in the world and one in God. You can't be happy anywhere. You've got too much God to really enjoy the pleasures of sin. But when you go over here to God, you've got this drawing towards sin. It's a very, very miserable place to be. And that's why you will almost always find God say, make a choice. This day have I set before you life and death. Choose life that you might live. Be either hot or cold, lukewarm, and I'll spew you out of my mouth. There's this, there's this choice. Now, I hope that you all know the choice is go for God. Go after God. That's why I love Joshua. Hey, I got, got, a, got a test for you. This day I've set before you life and death. Choose life. You know, he's saying, choose life. I've set before you blessing and cursing. Choose blessing, in case you're going, oh, I don't know what to do. Choose blessing, choose life, choose God, and don't be double-minded. But if there's a period in our lives where we say, I've been having a foot in the world and a foot in God, and I haven't been living right, and I haven't been doing what I should do. Now, by the way, I'm not trying to give us excuses, but no one lives in a perfect fashion. So I want us to mature. So the enemy can, you, you, you could be the most stellar Christian in this place today that any of us wish we were at your level, and the Satan will still whisper in your ear, and you call yourself a Christian. I mean, I, you thought this yesterday, and you said this this morning. You got up and actually thought to yourself, I don't even want to go to church today. Shame on you. And you call yourself a Christian. So I, I get the idea that, that we all can struggle with that. But if we really are saying, hold it, I've been divided between the world and God, and I haven't been living like I should have been living, then God says, let's pause for a moment and cleanse our hands, purify our hearts. This isn't a joke. It's not time for laughter and celebration. It's time for us to spend some time, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour or 10 days, to repent before God, lay all that at his feet, and then we've humbled ourselves before God, and he exalts us. Then we are in a place, okay, we're here for your exalting. It's not really earning stuff. What it is is you're getting stuff out of your life that produces death. Sin produces death, and so you're getting that out of your life. And then Job has a little line here, submit to God, and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. That's a great line. So, here's this week's action item. Practice a submissive attitude every chance you get. Our topic was submission, don't forget, so we're going to practice a submissive attitude every chance we get. I am convinced that a high percentage of our Christian growth happens by simply practicing what we learn. You know, because we, we learn a lot, but then we don't do anything. If, if you are in a line today and they go, ma'am, sir, please step back two feet. And you go, well, I am kind of tough. Okay, hold on. I'm going to practice submission. I'm going to go back two feet. 
Now, sometimes you're super pride-filled, and so you'll actually measure two feet. I'm not going to go back any further than what they told me, so be careful, because most of that honestly is our human pride that says, I don't like you telling me what to do. So, practice. You'll get pulled over by a police officer, maybe, who says, you know, do this, watch out for that, stop this. Uh, you may have a construction person that spins around the stop sign before church, and you just drive right on by. Hey, I still I can catch up with that group. I'll drive on by. No, you can pause and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to submit. Now, I'm going to say this one more time because I want you to get it. There is a time to disobey. If I was in your car and I was dying, I would want you to disobey the stop sign. Okay? I would want you, if, if it was safe to get right in there, I'd not want you to look over and say, Brother, we're going to lose you, man, because the construction worker spun around, stop, you're a goner. Okay, there is a time to be sensible. You are in a crosswalk. Somebody's had a heart attack in the middle of the road. You go to help them, but you look up and it says, don't walk. And you say, well, I guess I'll just you push the button. I gotta, I'll be there in a minute, man. No, that, there's a time that you can disobey because a lot of these laws, I'm serious, there's a letter of the law and there's a spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is don't walk out in front of traffic and get ran over, but if somebody's out there in need, you can go help them. So we're going to practice a submissive attitude every chance we get. And one thing we can do, and I, and I work at this, um, here's a place to practice submission, to do your action items every week. Like I say, the action items I give you aren't read three books, you know, pray nine hours a day, you know, so you can actually do this. And in a sense, you're actually submitting to authority. And, and by the way, if I ever ask you to do something that's not scriptural, you don't have to do it. You know, I say, well, I'm supposed to submit to authority. No, God's the ultimate authority. God's the ultimate authority. So we submit, we have a submissive attitude, and we practice every chance we get, and I will promise you, you will get plenty of opportunities to practice submission.